This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Monday, the 24th day of July, 2023, and I ate way too much this weekend. I'm feeling puffy today. I need to uh, get back on uh, a little bit of a uh, dietary regimen for sure. Uh, <laughs> But that's the way that is. All right. This is Squirrel Chatter. It is a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You're certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. All right. Uh, had a busy weekend. Uh, was over in Bozeman. Drove over Saturday. And I want to thank our friends, the Jarrett's, who let us use their condo and saved us some uh, hotel expenses. Um, I was over there to preach at Fellowship Baptist Church yesterday. Um, the pastor and I have become friends um, at summer camp. He has been the uh, speaker for the high school week the last few years, and so I've gotten to know him and his wife, Sherry. Um, and so they were down in Florida for a family wedding, and he asked me to come preach for him, and so I did that yesterday. That message is on YouTube, and I have, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, which you should, it's uh, Squirrel Chat Pod uh, is the the podcast Twitter, and then of course my own personal Twitter account is Shinar Squirrel. So I, uh, I I would point you toward that. Follow me on on Facebook and Twitter. And, but the Twitter page, um, I posted the the link to the message, both on the podcast page and on my own page. So I uh, I encourage you to check that out. Uh, message on Psalm two uh, was was well received, um, and I'm preaching this Sunday coming up in Ovando. Um, so actually for the director of Camp Utmost. He asked me to to preach at uh, the church where he is an elder, and so I'll be doing that this Sunday. Looking forward to that, and probably going to preach the same message that I preached in Bozeman, um, or another message. I, I don't have time this week to to actually write a new message, and one of the nice things about being an itinerant preacher is you can preach the same thing and two different weeks because you're going to be at two different locations. <laughs> so, and uh, it's not just me. I've heard Steve Lawson preach the same message several times. I've heard John MacArthur preach the same message several times. Um, just when you're, when you're traveling and doing, uh, doing stuff like that, the, the people there probably haven't heard it. 
And uh, of course, it's never the same twice. Um, you 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 say things differently. You 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 emphasize different things. Uh, the, just the thought process and and uh, the providence of God. You 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 know things come out a little bit differently. So um, even the same sermon, you know, unless you're reading verbatim off a manuscript, which um, most good preachers don't do. I take a manuscript into the pulpit, but I don't follow it slavishly. And sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll know what I wanted to say and I'll say things in different orders and, you know, you just, and, and throw in the occasional side comment and all of that. I, I, you know, just to sit and, and read a manuscript verbatim. Um, although I have friends that do that and do it very well. Um, so I won't knock it, but I can't do that. So I, uh, I tend not to. <laughs> All right. What do we got today? We got prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Monday. So we've got Monday meanderings. So we'll see where we get to. I've got a few things in my list of things to talk about. This could actually be a strange episode. Uh, I'm... I'm I've got some things on my mind, and I'm going to launch into them, and we'll see where it goes. All right. Let us begin with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and apart from your grace there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1, by John MacArthur. And... Uh, I have three volumes of this devotional, um, volume one, volume two, and volume three. I think that's all that this series has in it, but fabulous devotional. Um, and I just commend that to you. Our devotion today is Warning Against Partial Righteousness. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20 Dr. MacArthur writes, The righteousness practiced by the religious leaders further displeased God because it was partial, falling way short of his perfect standard. Again, in Matthew 23, Jesus illustrates this phony righteousness. 
You tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. It's Matthew 23, verse 23. The Jewish leaders were conscientious about making non-essential tithes of the smallest plants and seeds, yet they totally neglected showing justice and mercy to others or having heartfelt faithfulness to God. To a large degree, this sin of partial righteousness flows directly from externalism. Unregenerate people disregard justice, mercy, and faithfulness because those traits basically reflect a divinely transformed heart. Without a new heart, no one can accomplish the weightier provisions of the law. In a separate encounter, the Lord quoted Isaiah and further warned the Pharisees of their empty and misdirected religion. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Mark 7, 6 and 7. Like the religious leaders and many of the people of Jesus' day, professing believers today can be constantly exposed to Scripture, but only superficially responsive to it. Their watered-down, partial obedience to God's commands demonstrates their failure to grasp the profound spiritual intent of God's law and their probable unsaved condition. Ask yourself, realize afresh today that the only obedience which interests God is total obedience, the kind that can only be accomplished through Christ's righteousness, imputed to his redeemed children. What instances of partial obedience need to be converted to full obedience in your life? All right. Monday meanderings. <laughs> oh, it's been an interesting week last week. Watching the news, we had a lot of stuff going on. One of the things that it, there is an attitude, and, and maybe it's an attitude that's common to every local culture, but it's an attitude that, that I've seen as distinctly American, but that's because I probably haven't spent very much time in foreign nations. Um, I visited Mexico briefly. I've spent more time in Canada because I used to truck into Canada. So I would be back and forth across the border and up into Canada. And it it, it wasn't, that was in the, the late 2000, that was 2008, 2009. And it wasn't until I was doing that that it really struck me that Canada was a different culture. <laughs> It was a different country. They have a different culture. Uh, you know, it's I'd, uh, I'd known a lot of a lot of Canadians down here, and I've always lived, you know, since I was eleven. I've lived fairly close to Canada and been to Canada, but it wasn't until I was going up there on an almost daily basis to work that I realized, you know, this really is a different com country and a different culture. Um, more prominent now than it was then, I think. But uh, that was a, you know, an interesting thing. So I have not spent a lot of time in foreign countries. Um, and really, only Canada and Mexico that I personally visited. Um, 
So I'm not, you know, hugely up on the attitude of foreign countries other than what you see on the news. But talking to Americans and just the attitude of a lot of people that I grew up with and the attitude that I saw around me while I was growing up, whenever we would see bad events in other countries where, you know, and by bad events, I'm talking about, you know, the widespread government corruption and, and things like that and dictators and, 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 you know, mass murders by tyrants, people like Francisco Franco or Benito Mussolini or Adolf Hitler or the Sandinistas in South America or, or, you know, the, all sorts of, you know, when I was Idi Amin in, in uh, uh, what was the what was the nation in Africa that that he was the dictator of? Um, I can't remember. But Idi Amin had had killed a bunch of people. I mean, uh, 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 what was it? what was the guy in Libya? Um, Muammar Gaddafi. You know, again, very much a a brutal dictator. And, you know, the the brutal dictators in the Soviet Union, um, you know, Stalin. Stalin is probably, it, it's, it's hard to confirm, but Stalin is probably guilty of more murders than Adolf Hitler. And, and we, we don't often hear that. And a lot of that was covered up because in World War II, Hitler was the enemy and Stalin was our friend. So we didn't, you know, a lot of the things that Stalin had done in solidifying his power and all of that, we, we kind of glossed over. We being, you know, the American government and the American media. But we've had, whenever we've seen these things in other countries, there's been a general attitude here that that couldn't happen here. We could never have a Joseph Stalin or a Benito Mussolini here. We could never have a Sandinista regime here. We could never have a Fidel Castro here. We could never have this kind of corrupt, tyrannical government here. It just couldn't happen here. Well, as a historian, and seeing the things that have happened in human societies throughout history, I assure you, it can happen here. And we're seeing that. Um, I think, you know, looking back, I mean, just, you know, take one example, you know. Why are people just so ready to trust the government? I think we, we, you know, back in 2020, we saw the foisting of untested vaccines on the American people. And I think, you know, conclusions aren't aren't in yet. It's going to take a long time for the data to accumulate. 
But there are very strong indications that foisting this untested vaccine upon the American public has had widespread and devastating health effects on the population. And it wasn't just the American public. Europe, uh, you know, I don't know what they did in China. I, you know, you can't trust any of the news coming out of China, but, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, all the stuff that was, was done during the quote unquote pandemic. And there's, there's really real question about if it was a legitimate pandemic or not. Um, I'm not saying COVID wasn't a real disease. It was, um, just it was an artificial disease created in a bio lab in China, and everybody pretty much admits that now. Um, and who knows what effect it has had? Um, I mean, I've mentioned I, I I never got the jab, but I did have COVID and lost my sense of smell for over a year. And I could smell very little. And when it came back, everything smelled funny. Things didn't smell like they used to. And ever since I had COVID, I've had horrible allergies. And I had never really had allergies growing up. But now, every spring, I got the watery eyes and the sniffly nose and all the 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 allergy signs, you know, losing my voice. You know, I've mentioned it here when I've been having a rough day. Because the allergy season was high. Um, so who knows what COVID itself did. And, you know, who knows what it's going to turn out that the vaccine did. And yet, we were forced to take the vaccine. You know, or, you know there was a lot of coercion to try to get everybody to take the vaccine. A lot of people didn't take it. Um, and I think we'll, we will down the road be grateful for that. But, um, I mean, Bill Gates is talking about, now Bill Gates is one of these people that's pushing this. He's pushing universal mandatory healthcare, quote unquote, where you have to take certain things, you have to do certain things in order to be accepted in society. And he's very upset that so many people didn't take the vaccine. It interests me that, you know, and I mentioned this before, he's also one of the people that thinks that the earth is overpopulated and we need to get rid of a few billion people. And why, why we should think that somebody who wants to get rid of several billion humans would actually be concerned with the general health and welfare of the human population, that's... You know, there's a cognitive dissonance there. Um, But he's now talking about, and apparently has been testing, and and who knows where this is going to end up with, testing the delivery of vaccines, quote-unquote, or some sort of medication or anything like that, through mosquitoes. So, you know, you get bit by a mosquito... And you were just quote unquote treated for something against your knowledge and will. Because your rights don't matter. It's all about the greater good. 
you've ever seen hot fuzz, <laughs> you know the devastating effects of the greater good. Um, and yes, it's a comedy, but there's a, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There is a, a large contingent of people who want to do all sorts of stuff for the greater good of humanity. And it's not, it's like the dirty green energy stuff. You know, it's not for the greater good of humanity because a, the vast majority of green technology is worse for the environment than internal combustion engines and coal-fired pow coal power plants. If you really want to clean it up, let's put atomic power plants around. Let's develop, you know, you want electric cars? Fine. The battery technology isn't there. Let's use fuel cells. Use fuel cells. Use gasoline generators, which will burn a lot less gasoline to generate the electricity to run the car than the big V6 or V8 engine would or V10 or V12, if you're talking about an exotic sports car, that, that would, you know, run the car, a little generator would use less gasoline and, and pollute less, you know, a hybrid car without the battery, because the battery technology isn't there, and requiring the, the or acquiring the materials to build the batteries is much more damaging to the environment. And then these batteries cannot be recycled, and there's all sorts of problems. Um, you know, same with like wind power and stuff like that. You really, you know, let's let's get back to atomic energy and and using nuclear reactors, which are clean and the newest generations of a, of power plant design, reactor design, are safe. Yeah. You would never have had a Three Mile Island. You would never have had a Chernobyl. You would never have had a Fukushima with the latest generation of reactor design. Um, and so, you know, there is, there are clean ways to generate electricity and do things like that. And, you know, and then fine, you know, electrify everything because it's cheap and plentiful, but the vehicles, the batteries won't work. So you need to have some other way to generate electricity for something the size of a car. And that's where a fuel cell would come in. Um, fuel cell technology, you know, is, that would be the way to do it. You know, you need to have a hydrogen powered car. The exhaust would be water. So that's, there's all sorts of stuff, even, even just burning hydrogen. You know, uh, it, it, it's clean. You know, burning hydrogen produces water because burning is oxygenation. Hydrogen, oxygenated hydrogen is called water. So there's, there are, you know, there are alternatives to the clean, quote unquote, the, the dirty clean energy, The to use Brian White, Wright's term, which I just, I think he's nailed it. It's dirty clean energy. And, and there are actual clean alternatives, but the, the fact is, is as, uh, if you have not listened to the newest Just Thinking podcast, A Biblical Theology of Climate Change, you need to listen to that because Virgil and Daryl just lay out the fact that 
the climate change people, it's a religion. It is. It's the climate change is part of the eschatology of the religion of naturalistic materialism. But these people have a religious belief. It's not, and it's it's the the tenets of their religion are not logical and not truthful. But they hold to it with a dogmatic devotion. And so they resist any attempt to actually present the world with clean energy. So we're seeing these things, and we're saying this couldn't happen here. Well, just look back just a couple of years ago. Look at the shutdown of our culture. Businesses shut down. You know, old families that couldn't visit their parents in old folks' homes. Um, I've I've mentioned more than once. My my mother died at the end of 2019, and my sisters and I have mentioned to each other that we are glad she didn't live six months longer. Because if she'd have lived six months longer, to been the middle of 2020, we would not have been able to visit her. We would not have been able to be there when she passed. We would not have been able to, um, you know, have a funeral. You know, if if she had just died six months later. I, I, I do you remember the video? There was a, a a mother who had lost her husband. And they're having the family funeral. And at the funeral parlor, there were a very few chairs set six feet apart. And here is this woman sobbing alone. And one of her sons picks up his chair, walks over, puts it down next to her, and is sitting with his mom. And as soon as he does this, another family member does the same thing. And they're starting to come together. And the funeral home person jumped in and made everybody spread out again. And that video is on YouTube. And if you've never seen it, it will break your heart. But it can't happen here. We can never have tyrannical government here. Oh, no. Never happen here. Widespread government corruption? (laughs) Did you watch any of the hearings last week with the IRS whistleblowers? Who, who came in, there are only like a dozen a dozen IRS agents in this squad that investigates this high-level tax fraud and stuff. There's not a huge number of these, um, these agents. Well, two of them came forward to talk about the investigation that had been launched into Hunter Biden. And that that they knew this is this is something here's something to think about. The US government, the IRS, the FBI, knew about all of these allegations of bribery and corruption before the Hunter laptop story broke. They knew that everything on that, in that Hunter laptop story was true. They knew it. They'd already had, they'd had that from other sources. They knew all that. And yet they put out that this was 
um, Russian disinformation. That that this wasn't true. They they you know they got Twitter to ban the the New York Post Twitter account because they had put forth this story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Well, the the uh, the reporter that wrote that story testified before Congress in a in a committee hearing about government censorship last week, and it, she was fabulous. You know, laying out everything everything in the story was true. They knew it was true, and they tried to keep the American public from hearing it. And there have been polls that have indicated strongly that had that had people believed that story, it probably would have changed the 2020 election. So this is, you know, election rigging. This is election interference by the government. This is rigged elections. I mean, you can, you know, even overlooking, you know, the ballot boxes and the mail-in ballots and all the irregularities that we saw in the 2020 election, a lot of which has not been fixed. Even with all of that stuff that we saw, we 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 have a government that has been you know, if, if if you discount all of that, you know, the mail-in ballots and everything, and just look at what they did in regards to the censorship, then you have election interference. And and you have to wonder, how, how different would things be? And then you throw in the irregularities with the ballots and whatnot, and you have a stolen election. Yeah. I firmly believe that we had a stolen election in 2020 to, in 2020. And and a lot of people I think that's one of the reasons why Trump is polling so high. There's a vast majority of of there are a vast number, I don't know if it's the majority, we'll find out in November. But there's a vast number of American citizens who think Trump got cheated out of his second term. And that's one of the reasons why this is this is an interesting thing that, that Donald Trump is running almost as an incumbent. There are some really good Republicans in the primary. Uh, you know, chief among them Ron DeSantis. We all love Ron DeSantis. I would prefer DeSantis over Trump. I think Trump's going to get the nomination. Um, And the reason I think Trump's going to get the nomination is he's viewed by the, the Republican base as, you know, almost an incumbent president, like a sitting president. So he's, he's, you know, you, you can't, you're seeing that in the in the Democrat Party right now. You've got a challenger polling twenty percent because everybody knows Biden's a corrupt and b mentally deficient due to his age. He fell asleep in the Oval Office the other day with a visiting dignitary. He's just sitting in one of those chairs by the fireplace, and his head droops down, and he goes to sleep and the the guy who was visiting 
and I don't know, was it the Israeli prime minister? I'm not sure. Israeli foreign minister, whatever dignitary was sitting there. He's just looking around the room like, what do I do? The dude's gone to sleep. And so a lot of a lot of Democrats are looking at Biden and going, what are we going to do in 2024? Because, you know, a, a, a non-existent campaign from the basement isn't going to work. The only reason it worked in 2020 was the excuse that COVID provided. So we're going to have an interesting election in 2024. The primary is interesting right now, but even with with uh, Biden's issues and the problems with Biden, that as he's the incumbent, he is virtually guaranteed, unless something happens, virtually guaranteed to be the nominee. And now just that's just the thing with incumbent presidents. If you're the incumbent president, you are very likely to be your party's nominee for the re-election. Um, Gerald Ford. Now I remember the the '76 campaign in 1976. I was 11. Didn't watch it live. Didn't actually get to see it until. 79 when Ronald Reagan ran for election again. Um, but Reagan had run against Gerald Ford in 76. Reagan, of course, was an actor, but he had served two terms as California governor and had done an excellent job as governor and was, you know, recognized as a, a conservative. Um, Powerhouse, uh, really. I mean, he, he, Ronald Reagan was smart. Don't ever think he wasn't smart. That was one of the things that that uh, they always talked about him being this amicable, amicable old man dunce guy. He's not too bright, but boy, he's just friendly and nice, and he gives a good speech, and everybody likes him. But the left d- would not give him any credit for. You know, somebody else writes his speeches. Somebody else comes up with the policy decisions. He's not really, you know, he's just like a puppet, a figurehead, which is what we have now with Biden. And and you got to wonder who's behind the scenes pulling the strings for Biden. But with Reagan, they were like, you know, he's he's not really all that bright, and these aren't really his ideas. And and then I can't remember the name of the the woman's the woman's name, she ended up writing a book called Reagan in His Own Hand. She was doing some research at the Reagan Library and had been given access to the archives. And while she was down in the archives, and there's just boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff that haven't been cataloged and haven't been, you know, and that's that's typical. Um, you know, there's just collections of stuff that, that you know, we're waiting to be gone through. And, and one of the things that she found, she was looking for something else entirely. And I don't remember, she was working on her master's, master's or doctorate. I'm not sure. She was a college student at the time. And she was looking for something to do with the end of the Cold War, just trying to find memoirs or, or information or something, if I remember right. 
but she found boxes of eight and a half by 11 or eight and a half by 14 yellow legal pads with Ronald Reagan's handwriting all over them. And so she asked the archivist, what are these? He says, oh, those were the president's radio scripts when he was doing his daily radio. As he did a, a, a daily radio, you know, two or three minute um, daily radio address between the time he was governor and the time he was elected president. And the only times he didn't do the daily radio address was when he was actively running for president in 76 and in 80 because because of the, the, the election laws, he couldn't be doing his daily radio thing and run for office at the same time. So, you know, so there was a hiatus in 76. And then, of course, when he ran for president in 80, he had to stop again. But after he stepped down as governor of California, he was doing this, I don't know, three, five minute, I don't remember how long they were. They're, they're short little radio bits that, you know, radio stations would play during their, their morning news. Um, and if you ever listen to, to, you know, radio drive time news, they've all, they've got all sorts of little bits. Charles, uh, uh, oh, what was his name? Um, not Charles Kuralt, um, the other Charles, <laughs> he used to do a, a little thing, you know, there was a guy named Earl Nightingale that used to do a little short radio blurb that I used to listen to all the time. And these were just short little snippets that they would be played during the morning news where, you know, you'd have news broadcasts, you'd have local news, you'd have, you know, your DJ talking and you'd have, you know, uh, they'd play a little bits here and there. And Reagan wrote one of these or did one of these. Well, he had handwritten all of these scripts for these radio shows. And this young researcher got really interested in this and said, you know, can I go through these? And so she started going through these and she realized something very, very quickly. Reagan wrote his own speeches. And all of Reagan's ideas were thoughts that he had developed over time, the things that he had thought through and thought about. And you can see his thought processes in his daily radio addresses. That he had done this program on network radio and he had written all these scripts talking about all these different issues. And so she did, she wrote a book called Reagan in His Own Hand where she demonstrates from Reagan's own writings that he was not an amicable dunce. He was actually a fairly brilliant man. And that the policies that he was putting forth were based on ideology that he had developed, that he had thought through. You know, now obviously, it's, you know, stuff he had learned, you know, reading other sources, but he was constantly reading and he was constantly writing. And Mrs. Reagan said after he passed away, um, and I think it's a quote that appears in the book. She said, Ronnie always 
had a pen in his hand. He was always making notes. He was always writing stuff down. And he said, you know, he was always reading a book. She said, uh, something along the lines of, I don't remember just sitting around watching TV with Ronnie. He was always reading. He was all, you know, I mean, he would occasionally obviously watch stuff and, and being a Hollywood actor, he was interested in, in acting and stuff. And I have no doubt he paid some attention to popular media, but she said for the most part, he was sitting at his desk reading and writing and that the, he had a desk up in the residence that that was where he spent evenings after he had left the oval office for the day he went upstairs to the residence where he was sitting at a desk and reading and writing and making notes and stuff very smart man um and and obviously ronald reagan is one of my heroes um, I greatly respect the man, but, you know, not an idiot, well-versed in, in, in his thing. But the idea that it couldn't happen here, folks, it can happen here and it is happening. We're seeing censorship. We're seeing election tampering. We're seeing widespread government corruption. Where And it's nothing new. You've probably heard of the Tuskegee experiments. Back in the 1930s, from the 1930s to the late 60s, the United States government, the Center for Disease Control, conducted experiments on unaware black citizens. And they did it in uh, Tuskegee, Alabama, with the cooperation of the famous black college, the Tuskegee Institute. And the experiment was on men who had contracted syphilis. Now, the, the, it, it doesn't seem to be true that the government gave these men syphilis. But what the government was doing was studying what happens when syphilis is left untreated. And they lied to these men. They gave them placebos. They often didn't tell them they had syphilis. So how many other people got syphilis because these men were not taking any kind of precautions? You know, and they did that for 40 years and never told anybody. The government conducted experiments in the 60s with hallucinogenic drugs, again on unsuspecting people without any any consent these these people in the Tuskegee experiment never said you know never consented to being experimented on they did agree to take part in a government program they were promised free health care 
but they never were told what this was all about. They did not know that they were going to be, they, they had a disease that was going to be left untreated. And, you know, for the, for the first few years, there was no cure. But beginning in the late 30s, there was penicillin, which was the standard cure for syphilis. And yet these men were left untreated so that the government could study them. Yet we're supposed to trust our government. And there's, there's a whole list of different things like that that the United States government has done to its citizens. But it can't happen here. It can't happen here. We have a culture that is rife with sin and corruption. And we have people with their heads in the sand. We have flat-out violations of the Constitution of the United States. And people have their heads in the sand. They don't want to see it. They don't want to acknowledge it. They certainly don't want to deal with it. And so it couldn't happen here. All those things happen in other countries. All those things happen in other cities. All those things happen in other states. It couldn't happen here. It could. It does. It is. And the sooner people become aware of it, the sooner we have a chance to head it off. Um, now, granted, all of this is, you know, taking place, you know, under the providence of God, in God's sovereignty and design, and he has a purpose in it. But, you know, be men of Issachar. <laughs> Understand the times. Understand the times in which we live. Be aware. Don't have your head in the sand. Look around. Pay attention. You know. It, it, it. Don't be afraid. Don't be, you know, that, that's the other thing. Is don't be worried. God isn't worried. I preached on Psalm 2 yesterday. You know, the nations rage and the people meditate on a vain thing. But God is sitting on his throne laughing. A laughter of mocking derision. Uh, just because the, the efforts of man to overthrow God are laughable. And, and so, you know, don't despair because God is in control and God has a purpose. But at the same time, don't be ignorant. Know what's going on. Pay attention. We do have widespread government corruption. We're starting to see all of that. All right. And a whole big thing here about uh, General Michael Flynn quoting Elizabeth Clare Prophet back in 2021, but we will talk about that some other time. It's waited a couple of years. You can wait a couple of years more. All right, let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace, that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Now the colic for the renewal of life. O God, the King Eternal, whose light divides the day from the night and turns the shadow of death into the morning. Drive far from us all wrong desires. Incline our hearts to keep your law. Guide our feet into the way of peace, that having done your will with cheerfulness during the day, we may, when night comes, rejoice to give you thanks. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. Through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home, and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Folks, have the best of Mondays. Do not despair. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Our, our, our times are in his hands, and we can trust him. But at the same time, pay attention to what's going on. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of Scripture, and don't be ignorant of the times in which we live. It's important that you be here and now and paying attention to what's going on. All right, folks, have a great Monday. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow with another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.